Hello, I'm Dave. And I'm Rob. And welcome to the May 2021 edition of The Doctor Who Show. This month our topic is cool spaceships in Doctor Who. I'm going back to my boyhood with this one. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm hopefully you will too. Rob, how are you? Dave, very well. Hello, listeners. When this topic first came up, I thought, will we have enough to talk about? But when I started making my list and I thought, well, you've got as many of these as me and oh gosh, that's actually quite a lot to talk about. There's plenty to talk about tonight. I must admit, about a week after we did our last episode and we'd said our next topic's going to be cool spaceships i kind of went away and i thought oh we made a mistake is there enough <laughs> um and then i started to do my sort of you know just just brainstorm my shortlist and i had about 12 options to go that i had to cut down so we'll be fine but we'll talk more about that shortly we've got a bit to cover first and foremost shall we dive in yeah we have got some big stuff to actually get through <laughs> Absolutely. So we'll dive in because we want to get to our main topic as quick as we can. As usual, we'll start off with the news. Now, the lead item on the news, I'm going to take us through at least initially, is an item that we aren't particularly keen to talk about, but Mm. it would be conspicuous by its absence in a news segment if we didn't. And that is everything that's been happening regarding Noel Clark or Mickey from the RTD years. So, Rob, I've got a couple of dot points I'm going to sort of step us and the audience through sort of in a news sense, and then Mm -hmm. I might get your additional thoughts, comments, or points. Sure. So for those who aren't aware, there was an article just after, in fact, our last monthly episode dropped in The Guardian in the UK where it said, and I quote, several allegations of verbal abuse, bullying, and sexual harassment are made against Clark. And it references 20 women Mm -hmm. that... Uh, have have made statements to the Guardian, and the Guardian's been happy to uh, happy have been verified enough for them to go to print. Uh, since then, there've been follow up articles. One of which says again, and I quote: "Several sources came forward to allege that they were sexually harassed or inappropriately touched by the actor on a flagship show, Doctor Who." And it also says again, I quote: "Clark, who vehemently denies any allegations." Mm. So. I guess a couple of things to say. We, of course, respect the principle that anyone is innocent until proven guilty, but the weight of evidence and allegations and the fact that The Guardian went to print and, and, and you know has named a number of these women does start to weigh very heavily that we are probably um, you know a little bit beyond a presumption of complete innocence at the very least. Mm. We need to say, obviously, that these are awful, awful, awful things that Clark has allegedly done. And, um, you know, it's very, very disappointing that somebody involved in Doctor Who and somebody whose performances we've enjoyed have done such such horrible things. We we absolutely condemn them. I know a lot of fans are, you know, very upset and some have said they won't watch his performances again. And I, I totally understand and respect that. I, I, I will still watch his shows again in the future, but... The next time I sit down and watch School Reunion, the reality is rather than looking at Clark's performance and thinking, gee, he really stepped up in Series 2. This is, this is a really good performance here. I, I really like this. I'm going to be looking at him and thinking, gee, just, you know, what an, what an unpleasant person he actually turned out to be. Um, I think the rest of it in any further detail is really between him and his victims and his employees, present, past and potentially future. I know a lot of fans, particularly on social media and on Twitter, are asking questions about 
what happened on the Doctor Who set and who knew what when. You know, did did Russell T Davies or others involved in the production of the series know about this, ignore this, cover it up? I'm not going to wade very far into that because we're talking about something that happened on the other side of the world 15 years ago involving people that I've never met and certainly don't know. And I think to speculate beyond that, look, I just don't have the information, the knowledge, yeah. the, the, the confidence to speculate about that. But I, I get why fans are asking those questions. Bottom line, it's all just a really sad and unpleasant thing. It's something that I think the entertainment industry all across the world is wrestling with. We've seen plenty of it in Hollywood. We've seen a lot in the UK, even in Australia. I mean, for those who are unaware, I think it's still Australia's best ever rating sitcom, Hey Dad. Mm. The, um, the lead star of that is, I believe, still in prison for sexual crimes against some of the young members of that cast. Yeah, and and when you talk about, you know, you'll, you'll still watch series one, but it's with a, a slightly different eye on it. I, I find it hard to watch ABBA the movie because the actor Robert Hughes is like the lead... Well, aside from ABBA, he is the lead character in that movie. He's a journalist following mm. them around Australia. And that's just such an, an enjoyable film with the music and you see Australia back in the 70s and all of that. It's really, really fun. But whenever I watch it now, I'm looking at him and thinking, oh... You're not a you're not a great guy. <laughs> you know? yeah, absolutely, and that, that's sort of where I am. You know, I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to banish every Mickey episode from from my life. I, but but yeah, it's going to it's going to it's going to cast a shadow over these episodes, and that's that's very sad. Uh, Rob, anything else you wanted to bring up or add to this conversation? Well, yeah, I think there's a big one. It, it's yeah. it's the elephant in the room, and that's yeah. around the time of the Clark allegation. Someone found video of Clark at a convention talking about onset behaviour from John Barrowman. Now, I would bet London to a brick that they were trawling this footage for Clark, maybe incriminating himself, mm. or, or saying something they could latch onto and go, "Aha! Like you know, I, I found something." But instead, they found him talking about this old story about how Barrowman used to get out, well, his his member on, on yeah. the set of Doctor Who and Torchwood. And, well, let, let, let's not dress it up. He would expose himself. He would. He yeah. would. And, and, and wave it around and, and all that sort of thing. And, of course, in this climate, people reacted. How dare he do this? You know, can any of us go to work and do that? Oh, my God. Cancel him, cancel him, cancel him. And what made it worse was then people started digging into Barrowman and learned that he even took this on the road. <laughs> and there was a radio interview around 2008 where the, the disc jockey was like, oh, I hear you do this. And Barrowman's like, yeah, I do. Will I do it here? And they're like, oh, sure. And, and he did it at the radio station. I hadn't heard that one. Ah, yeah. And, right. and, it, and it's around that time that the BBC really cracked down and said, enough's enough. Uh, you, you can't be doing this. And he apologised. He reined his behaviour in. So you think that was all done and dusted back in 2008, you know, and, and especially in the 13 years since, I don't think there's been any hint of any sort of scandal or anything a, a, around him. And in fact, he, he issued an apology around the time that this footage was found of Clark talking about him at the convention. And I quote here, Barrowman said, with the benefit of hindsight, I understand that upset may have been caused by my exuberant behaviour, and I have apologised for this previously. Since my apology in November of 2008, my understanding and behaviour have also changed. Yet, here he is in 2021, 13 years after that, and he's just been axed from the Doctor Who experience that's launching in London 
that came only weeks after they'd been talking him up and posting pictures of him on social media and saying, look, John Barrowman's recorded some stuff for us. He's out of that. Uh, big Finish has dropped an entire audio release, and that it was a big audio release because it had David Tennant. It was like Tennant's back with Barrowman. Isn't this exciting? They've, they've now, just... now, just to be clear, Rob, when you say dropped, as in dropped from the recording schedules or recorded and dropped from release? Recorded and dropped from release. Wow. That's yeah. a big call. And, and then there was extra scandal around that because they sent a note out to people saying, you might have pre-ordered this, we've cancelled it. If you want a refund, get in touch. And people were like, hang on, if you're cancelling it, you should just give an automatic refund. So that was a whole other side issue. Um, <laughs> right. now, now, look, of, of course, I can see why all of this is happening. I don't want to belabor it. You know, it's, it's, it's a reaction to the social media backlash. But I do find it perplexing on some levels that Barrowman's in a bit of a different position to Clark. It's not just what's been alleged, but it's been admitted to. It was never a secret. I mean, everyone listening to that radio show back in 2008 knew this was happening. It sounds like you want to say something? Yeah, I I, I generally don't know where I kind of land on all of this sort of stuff. I must admit I hadn't heard this about Barrowman until it all blew up in the last couple of weeks. I I was pretty, pretty shocked and appalled by it. I think that doing that in any workplace is just, just pretty ghastly. But I understand that it, it, it was part of Barrowman's shtick. Mm. And, and I don't know whether we discussed it either on mic or off mic when I saw Barrowman at a convention about three years ago. But I do remember watching some of the, the, the things he was saying there and, and actually being a little bit put off by the, the, the tone of them. You know, he, he would basically you know, find a very attractive young man in the audience and you know, make it very clear the things he would like to do with him and, and mm. all that sort of thing. And, and a lot of people were, you know, laughing this up and laughing uproariously because, you know, this is, this is Barrowman shtick. He's a, you know, camp on the edge entertainer. Um, and I get that, but I, I must've been, I felt a little bit uncomfortable at the time. And yeah, it, it was unacceptable. I think to go down the, the whole of, has he learned his lesson and what punishment is appropriate now for something he did before. And, that leads into a whole sort of cancel culture topic and we need three hours to give that the mm, nuanced discussion mm. it needs and we don't want to spend our podcast doing that. Um, no, but I, I did just want to say, though, um, it is inappropriate what he did in the workplace, but in this environment, he's getting treated out there on social the same as Clark and that's a guy who was sharing sexually explicit photos of people. He was bullying them. And I think a bloke flashing to some friends who took it in kind, he was just making himself look silly and ridiculous more than anything. And I, I just find it hard to, to, to grasp that he, he wasn't photographing them in the nude and showing people. He wasn't using a senior position to, you know, have his way with them. He wasn't bullying them. Yet some people see zero difference here. I do see some difference. I see some nuance here. Uh, I'm not excusing Barrowman, but I do think he's done something different to Clark. Yeah, I, I, I do agree that there is a place for some nuance and some delineation in this all. Uh, what Barrowman did was ghastly, but I agree it was stupid more than sinister. Mm. Um, and, and what Clark's been alleged to have done was sinister and, and, and wicked. And, you know, Barrowman stuff would not be accepted today. We are dealing with... 15 years ago, and as I say, the entertainment industry is a strange place. Um, who knew what when, who pulled him up, who didn't. Mm. What he said in the meantime is kind of beyond our level of knowledge. And um, look, I think we're just both very upset that it's all happened. I probably won't be as enthusiastic about John Barrowman in the future as I have been in the past. 
and uh, I won't enjoy Noel Clark's performances as much in the future, if at all, certainly compared to the past. And um, I think that's where we are. Yeah, yeah, no, well, well said, and, and we won't belabor it, but we, we had to talk about it. Now, I'd like to, uh, at this point, say, let's get on and just talk about something fun, but um, our second news item is also not exactly uh, <laughs> ideal. It's not nearly in the same league as what we've just talked about, but uh, the fun stuff's coming after this one. <laughs> Rob, yeah, what's we, your first we, we news promise. item? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, Dave, there was a big blow-up in fandom uh, this month. Oh, I, I could say there was a big blow-up in fandom most months, but in this case, it was fandom versus the BBC. There was some substance in this one. Oh, yes. Uh, some content creators out there have started getting letters from the BBC about the content they've been making. The BBC pointing to guidelines, guidelines which have been unchanged for years, actually, which in their strictest possible interpretation suggest that people can't even write fan fiction and upload it to the internet for others to read. It's kind of like, yes, you can write fan fiction, but don't upload it to the internet. And, well, cue much gnashing of teeth, basically. Uh, people got very upset about this and, and started pointing out that, look, fan fiction is the way some major Doctor Who people got their start. I mean, I think of Paul Cornell over in the UK, I think closer to home of Kate Orman. Kate Orman used to write fan fiction for my fanzine and other fanzines I wrote for. She cut her teeth writing fan fiction and then ended up writing new adventure novels and, you know, Eighth Doctor adventure novels and things like that. So it's it's a very legit thing and people have got very, very upset about this BBC st- stance, especially because it seems to also extend to Doctor Who documentaries that you can find online on YouTube. Yes. People getting old scripts and making like radio plays of old scripts or or even video presentations of of old scripts. People doing YouTube reviews episodes where just sort of in the background while they're talking, they'll have some background um, footage from the episodes. Exactly. And look, as the dust settles on it all, a couple of things are apparent. Number one is that the BBC has always had strictly worded policies, but has always also sort of tended to turn a blind eye to small-time writers or little fanzines doing fan fiction. The use of footage has always been a, a weirder sort of territory. Some people get copyright strikes just for using a little bit of footage in a YouTube video, while over on Daily Motion, you can watch whole episodes of Doctor Who that have been there for years, mm. and, and no one, let alone the BBC, has done anything about them. That's a very weird landscape. And number two, I think it really boils down to whether something's commercial in nature. And I think that may be where some YouTubers are coming undone, because they monetize their output. And that's the bridge too far, basically, for the BBC. Not that they took some footage and made a fun little video, but that they're ultimately getting some sort of money for views. And I think that's what the BBC is going after. But really, the whole thing's a mess. The policy's a bit of a mess. People don't really understand it. You know, people who write fan fiction for fun think they're getting targeted. People making video content think they're getting targeted. Ah, it's a very grey area still, Dave. Yeah, look, what's very clear, though, is that something has changed somewhere in the BBC. Now, whether it's a top-down BBC policy or whether it's literally just some dude who's just, you know, new to a job or trying to get a promotion and showing how (laughs) diligent he can be and he's decided he's going to crack down on Doctor Who, I don't know. Maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, he broke up with a Doctor Who fan and this is his revenge. I don't know. (laughs) But but, but something somewhere has changed. And look, I... I just very simply take the view it's incredibly dumb by the BBC because the more that people are sharing Doctor Who related content in the universe the more that people will be attracted to the show and um, we've both mentioned many times before the uh, creators Joe Michael Straczynski and Kevin Smith who both have said 
very, very clearly that they are very relaxed with anybody sharing any version of their work, you know, Babylon 5, Smith's movies, um, that sort of thing. Uh, Josh Whedon said a similar thing about Firefly back when it was cancelled. He said, you know, the more that people share my content, A, the more I'm making people happy, which is why I make this content, Mm -hmm. and B, you know, the more that people share, the more likely someone's going to go, hey, I'm really interested in that show. I might now become a viewer. I might now become a purchaser. Mm -hmm. I might now go and buy the DVDs. You know, it, it actually, in the end, grows the show. And I think it's incredibly short-sighted by the BBC. I completely agree. So now we will get into the more fun aspects of this episode. Yes. Thank you for bearing with us, listeners. But as I said, if we didn't talk about these things on the news, it would uh, would be conspicuous, and we, we, we do like to be thorough. Um, a little fun piece. We like to keep an eye on what Doctor Who alumni are doing, and former showrunner Stephen Moffat is apparently adapting Audrey Neffenegger's 2003 novel for HBO Max, which is called The Time Traveler's Wife. Now, Rob, I'm going to read you a couple of quotes from this article about what this production's about, and just let me know if it sounds in any way (laughs) familiar to you, or I'm drawing a bit of a long bow here. In the story, Henry suffers from a very rare genetic disorder, which comes to be known as chrono-impairment, which causes him to involuntarily travel through time at random intervals. When he meets Claire at a library, it becomes clear that she has known him for most of her life, although he has never met her in his own timeline. From this point on, their timelines converge as Henry starts to travel backwards and forwards in Claire's life, meaning that their relationship (laughs) becomes increasingly difficult to manage. Yes, and look, going back to the... (laughs) When when Moffat was writing River Song type stuff on Doctor Who, oh River Song, that that's where I've heard it before. Oh. <laughs> People would often name check the time traveler's wife in their like critiques and comments on what he was doing. So it's it's just funny, bizarre, ironic, weird that, that he's adapting that actual <laughs> story now. Yeah, look, I think it's quite funny, but it is it, it is it is quite quite good. And look. I haven't been a fan of every decision that Stephen Moffat made when he was showrunner of the show. I think that's that's on record. But when he is just free to have fun and write, he is a very funny and engaging writer. And I think given this material and the luxury of just churning out something at a leisurely pace for HBO Max, I think this could be quite a fun, entertaining thing to uh, to watch when it comes out. Yeah, he's deserved it. He's getting old yeah. now, Moffat. that's true he's he's reaching that point in his career where he can do something like this and and that can be just his whole year or whatever you know and and just be inspired and and i think moffat when he's inspired and having fun is you know really really good exactly right shall we move on yeah one last item from europe yeah quick one here finish up with a a quite a nice story in many ways although it starts off a, a, a little um sad andy dobson hello andy he's a listener of ours oh hello andy Hello, Andy. We've even featured some of his musical output That's on the right. show yes. before. Yes, I do uh, remember that. He put it together with his band and we, we played that on an episode. Well, Andy recently had cause to tweet an image of his uh, 18-month-old son playing in a Dalek costume, a homemade Dalek costume, uh, along with a note that sadly uh, a fan had seen this picture earlier and contacted him to berate him for posting the image and even being so petty as to say that the kid had the weapons around the wrong way. What? Now, yeah. 
Yeah. Now, now this post. So Andy put the the pic, picture up of his kid. And said, "Look, this person's been in contact and said this." This post went absolutely viral, uh, especially when Neil Gaiman saw it and joined in with a tweet. And his tweet said, "True Doctor Who fans, know you can hold the whisk in either hand as long as you remember to say exterminate or something vaguely like it. You are a real Dalek." which is a really lovely and sweet thing to say. And you just have to shake your head at whatever fan said that original thing to Andy. You know, while I am all for robust discussions in fandom, and I've had a few myself, the stuff that interests me is, you know, adults debating why they like a story or, or yeah. where the Sasha Dewan master sits in the timeline of masters. <laughs> it's, it's fanish and it's silly nine times out of ten, but it's not, you know, telling a bloke, you know, don't post pictures of your kid. And by the way, you know, he's holding the Dalek weapons wrong. I mean, that's just being a pure... I, I can't comprehend that. So more pictures, please, Andy. And next time, go a, go a step further and name and shame this clown because they deserve it. And yeah, look, really pleased to hear that Neil Gaiman stepped in. I've always said that anybody who has an alien race on Babylon 5 named after them must be a pretty good bloke. And uh, <laughs> this, this, this just reaffirms that. So that's very cool. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, we'll race through our short topics, um, although there is one that I want to get a few extra thoughts from you on, Rob, and that's, uh, sure. that's the next one. But I just want to mention, first and foremost, since we last chatted, my Blu-ray box set of Season 8 finally arrived. Um, I did get it shipped out from the UK, and I don't know whether it got trapped in the Suez Canal for three weeks or something. I don't it know. It may have. It, it actually may have. That's the scary thing. Um, <laughs> but it did finally arrive, and I've been pouring through that in my spare time over the last couple of weeks and thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying it. I think that because Season 7 is my absolute favourite season and because there's a lot of other Pertwee that I really enjoy as well, particularly at the tail end of his run, I sometimes don't appreciate just how good Season 8 is, but there are for immensely good stories. I watched Terror of the Autons for the first time in a very long time, and that absolutely just blew me away because it is mm. it is just Robert Holmes having a lot of fun with this new character that he and Dixon Letts have created, the Master. And the first two and a half episodes is just the Master going around murdering people in increasingly <laughs> fun and dis terrifying ways. And it's amazingly good to watch. Um, yeah. It's just such a good episode. The Mind of Evil goes a bit darker, but there's a lot of depth, a lot of nuance, and that's a story that did scare me as a kid. I, I still find it weird watching it in colour because our off-air copy was in black and white. It's still... Mm -hmm. It still surprises me when I see it in colour. Axos, it's not my favourite, but it's not bad. Colony in Space, I'm watching at the moment and really enjoying. And I did actually watch The Demons first because I actually got to watch it on Beltane on uh, the 30th of April. So I thought I'd watch The Demons on the right night. Good man, good <laughs> and, man. And The Demons is one of those stories that I think it's easy to forget just how good it is because it just is so effortless in its awesomeness. The Demons is up there with the Five Doctors for me in terms of how it makes me feel, in terms of how I know every line, in terms of, you know, a lot of things. It's it's right up there for me. Yeah, look, it is really good. And so I've just been thoroughly enjoying watching Season 8. John Pertwee was my favourite Doctor growing up. Um, he's been eclipsed by Hartnell, but really only just as an adult. Mm -hmm. um, I love his era so much. Um, and I'm looking forward to the Blu-rays of... Season 24, hopefully not taking quite as long to ship in a couple of weeks' time. Ah, yes. Now, it sounds like you haven't got into many of the features, though. Have you seen it? No, I haven't really been big on the Blu-ray features for no other reason than just time, frankly. 
Okay, because the two good ones on that are the Terence Dix documentary. Yes. Hosted by Frank Skinner. That's excellent. And the other one is where um, Katie Manning and John Levine go back to the the village in the demons and, you know, get around the, the devil's hump and they and they get around the town and they just talk to people and it's really entertaining. And there's this beautiful scene where they're actually, they're up on the, the devil's hump and they just lie down in the grass and they're reminiscing and it's just... It's really beautiful. It's really, really great. So I, I commend those two. If you don't watch all of them, at least watch those two. Oh, no, perfect. I appreciate that. Once I've finished Colony in Space, I will definitely watch those. But yeah, a really good season. Now, Rob. Yes. You surprised me a couple of weeks ago because there I was walking out of the gym and I was getting my podcast ready to listen on the way home. And I got an alert on my phone. The Doctor Who show has dropped some content. And, and I you thought, involved. I thought, what, what's happened here? Have I been sacked? <laughs> and it was, it was, of course, a review that you decided to, to spontaneously do discussing the Christopher Eccleston debut on Big Finish, the Ravager set. Now, I, I will say that I thought it was a very useful review in that it didn't set out to just praise or just slam or, or whatever, but you basically said, if you like these sort of things, then this is for you. If you don't like these sort of things, it's probably not for you. Now you've had a chance to reflect, what else do you have to say? And and just as an individual, I know you were really looking forward to Christopher Eccleston on Big Finish. Yeah. Were you happy? Uh, I was underwhelmed. Mm. I, I was happy that Eccleston was back and, and so was all of Twitter. I think that was carrying a lot of people through the actual story though. And, and especially on that first day, I don't think everyone listened to all three stories. I did. The day it came out, May 13th, I listened to all three stories. Then I put out that little podcast. And as you say, listeners to this show will know I've been talking it up since it was first announced, which was about last August yep. or something like that. I can verify that. You, you have been very keen. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I put my money where my mouth is. I've been talking about this damn thing. So I, I, I bought it the day it came out and I listened to it the day of release, did that podcast. I was underwhelmed. Now, I won't repeat the 13 minute podcast here because people can go and listen to it. But I just wasn't into it. And my abiding sense since Dave is that I think it's just the fact that Eccleston is doing Big Finish that really got people through, like I said a moment ago. All the reviews I've seen are more about Chris is back, yay, than they are, this was a really great story for, you know, X, Y, Z reasons. I didn't like the story at all. It's it's one of those non-linear things where you have to pay attention to what's going on and be really, really invested because people meet each other out of order all the way through. So things don't really make sense until basically the end where there's a bit of a payoff. And, and I guess it's a payoff if you've remained invested. I don't like this style of storytelling at all. You know, at least the way it's done here. There are some nonlinear stories I think are done quite well. Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction's a nonlinear story. I think Pulp Fiction's fantastic. Mm. But but this just... Uh, 
when you throw in the timey-wimey stuff and you start getting really clever, it just doesn't do it for me. And the next release, I believe, are three separate fun adventures in time and space, basically. And I'm already thinking, without knowing anything besides that, oh, I think I'm going to like that more. I'm or- I've already decided that. Plus, there's a big finished trailer out there and there's a Cyberman in that. So I know there's going to be a good cyber story coming and I'll probably really like that because Eccleston obviously didn't get a good Cyberman story. Um, he got to hold a Cyberman head at one stage, but that was about all. So yeah, I've, I've said everything I wanted to say really in that podcast, you know, I, I rake over where the story falls in the Ninth Doctor's timeline and whether that works for me or not, but go and listen to that instead, folks, I won't, I won't take up your time here. Overall, I just wasn't a fan, but I am absolutely happy that Chris is back and I want to hear more. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think that's a really good summation. I think that the majority view I've seen of people I follow on Doctor Who social media has more or less matched your view, but there are people who really do love that style of storytelling and were very, very positive about it for, for those reasons. And like I say, you know, some of these things vibe with some people and not with others, and that's cool. Yeah, well, friend of the show, Dwayne Bunny, who does the Sirens of Audio podcast, uh, which is all about Big Finish, said to me, this is this is deeply Big Finish in the modern era, because I'm listening to old Big Finish at the moment, so I don't know what's happening in the modern era. He said, this is very Big Finish. There are loads of people into this kind of thing, you know, and I was like, oh, that that's great. It's not me, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and I, I think that's fair. People who are very, very invested in modern Big Finish, I think, did get a bit out of it, so... You know, your review would have said to them, if that's for you, go for it. And hopefully they did. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Uh, A quick point for me. I just want to be very nostalgic and point out that one of my favorite sci-fi books, which is the Star Wars Timothy Zahn novel, The Heir to the Empire, celebrated its 30th anniversary this month, uh, which is a big deal for me. And I just want to, again, mention the fact that I owe Doctor Who quite a lot, and particularly the Doctor Who New Adventures, the the Virgin New Adventures, quite a lot, because they were my gateway drug into a lot of other written science fiction, and particularly spin-off science fiction. So it was from the New Adventures that I said, oh, you can can read this stuff in books, you know, you can have original adventures. Mm. And it's from there that I went on to the the Timothy Zahn Star Wars books, the End of the Empire books, and they're what turned me from a Star Wars viewer into a Star Wars fan. And I've been rereading those three books, uh, Heir to the Empire, Dark Force Rising, and Last Command, over the last few weeks. And, and, and absolutely thoroughly enjoying them. But also a lot of Star Trek original fiction I, I read because of the New Adventures. Red Dwarf original fiction I read mm-hmm. because of the New Adventures. And that sort of led me down, you know, reading some old John Wyndham's and, and that sort of thing. So I think that, you know, just as we talk about how the Terrence Dix targets got a lot of people into reading generally. I, I still am very grateful to the new adventures for introducing me into reading sci-fi particularly and, and just, you know, some really great books. And, and the wilderness years, the 90s, were just, for me, just such a golden age in all of this sort of television genre um, that I don't think quite exists to the same extent as much anymore. And um, that's it, really. I just wanted to be nostalgic and, and gush for a bit. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I love the Heir to the Empire books. And it was it was Doctor Who, not so much the new adventures, because I was ignoring them at the time, but it was Doctor Who in general that got me into other kinds of fiction like that, because I would go to places like Galaxy Bookshop in Sydney, uh, which I guess is the equivalent to your Minotaur down in, in Melbourne. Yes, yes. And, uh, you know, because I was in there for Doctor Who, I would see the Star Trek novels and I would see all this other science fiction stuff exactly and 
and so when the first Red Dwarf book came out, you know, Infinity Welcomes Careful Drivers, <laughs> it's, great, it's a great book. I was I was grabbing that because I knew the TV show, and, and when these Star Wars books came out, they were a no-brainer to buy. So I, I've been on a very similar path to you, not so much through New Adventures, but certainly Doctor Who got me, that was my gateway drug in general that got me into places like Galaxy Bookshop and uh, places like that. Yeah, that, you're absolutely right. You, you would go to the shelf of the booksellers to look for Doctor Who, and there would be Star Wars and, and, and Star Trek and, and all those others. And and look, I actually did over lockdown reread Infinity Welcome's Careful Drivers. I picked it up with the intent of just sort of reading the first couple of chapters because I kind of wanted to remember how it started again. And I was halfway through the book before I put it down. Literally, no exaggeration. It is such a good read. Yeah, it's it's a fabulous book. It's such a shame that creative duo uh, split up eventually. Uh, it, it is, because they're not nearly as good separately, I'm sorry to say. No, uh, no, they're not. <laughs> uh, a final mini topic from you, Rob. Yeah, final one from me, Dave. Uh, just an update on my great journey with uh, Big Finish. And I know this is more Big Finish to talk about, so I'll be brief. I recently fell into doing the great journey with the monthly range and throwing up little lists and thoughts about every 10 stories onto my personal blog, which I have over at policebox.net. It's not a a site I regularly spruik here on the show, but I I do little bloggy things over there, usually about non-Doctor Who stuff, funnily enough. (laughs) Uh, And anyway, that caught the eye of uh, our pals Dwayne and Philip over at Sirens of Audio, and they said, hey, do you want to come on the show and, and every 10 stories in the monthly range just talk about your feelings and you know what you thought and i said sure so we've uh, recorded a few of those now none of them have come out yet uh but we do them on video video dave this is a bit new for me it's a bit different <laughs> um, yes yeah i mean I, I i use it every day at work but you know in terms of actually having conversations with doctor who fans about doctor who stuff it's very very different so i'm not sure when they'll go out they're like little 10 minute segments they're by no means a full episode of their show or anything and I'm going to do this all the way through to release number 275, I want to say, is where the monthly range ends. So. That's a huge undertaking. I know, but I'm going to do it. it. In fact, it's inspiring me to keep doing it because I know uh, Philip and Dwayne will be on my back saying, when are we going to record another episode? Nice. <laughs> Go and listen to some more. So uh, it's it's great fun. And I'm really enjoying the, the stories. There's some duff stuff in the first 10 but after that, they go on this ridiculous run for about 20 stories where I can't really fault them and say, oh, that was a terrible one. It's it's really quality stuff. Excellent. Well, we will come back to Big Finish at the very end of the episode. So uh, mm. I won't comment any further because it is time to get into our main topic for the month yes. of May. Here we which, go. Which, of course, is Cool Spaceships in Doctor Who. Now, this, this longer listeners of our show will know came out of an off-the-cuff comment. When we were discussing cool alien worlds, and and I made a comment, you know, when I was a kid, when I was a young boy watching Doctor Who, the things that I really wanted were cool alien worlds, cool aliens, and cool spaceships. And I said, maybe we need to talk about cool spaceships sometimes. And yeah. uh, and you agreed, and we put it on the schedule, and here we are, which only leaves cool aliens to do. Maybe that's the thing for next year. Yeah. But, you know, that, that really is just... The, the sole reason why I want to have this conversation because I think that cool spaceships is a big part of Doctor Who. It's something that we, I think all of us enjoy and yeah. this is a chance just to, you know, chat happily about a few of them. Uh, any general comments before we dive into our picks, Rob? Oh, no. I, I've got a little cheat in my list. I'll, I'll say that. Uh, yeah, I have too. 
<laughs> Aside from that, no, no, I'm, I'm good. Right, so we're going to dive in then. We're going to do it as we sometimes do with our list-based chats, because this isn't the list makers. <laughs> we're actually going to do it in transmission order. Um, so we're, hopefully this is going to evolve spaceships in Doctor Who, and we, we're going to talk about them. So uh, the picks go, me, me, you, me, me, you, me, you, you, me, <laughs> which is a good mix. Um, and, and I will just say, we know what seasons or series our picks come from, but we don't know each other's picks. So yeah. we, just, we just know enough that we could slot them in order. Yes. But I will dive in because the first two are mine, and the first comes from season three, and that is a gigantic spaceship, which mm-hmm. I've put in here not because it's a great model. In fact, we never see the model of the exterior, but it is a great concept and a great interior, and that is the Ark from the story The Ark. <laughs> Good pick. Yes. And this, if you want a cool sci-fi concept, a spaceship that is large enough to have a jungle and a desert and a tundra and that's got the whole of humanity and monoidity? What's, what's, I don't know. The whole, <laughs> of the, know. the whole of the human race and the monoids um, in, in, in micro form stored, transporting them to another world. The, the idea of that, that, that steel sky above them transporting generations for 700 years across space, I think is an amazing concept. And whilst we don't have a model of the exterior, and I, I think it's probably for the best because it wouldn't mm. have looked good in, in, in the 1960s. I think of the model of the, uh, the rocket ship from uh, the Sensorites, for example, which isn't the best. Oh, but, you know, then you get to something like the Space Pirates and it's got amazing models. Well, that's, that's right. And I actually had the Space Pirates as an honourable honorable mention and um, I'll, I'll, I might mention them briefly. But, yeah, I mean, they, they are much better by the end of the 60s. But there is mm. some really good model work of the interior there, particularly when the statue's being moved out, out of the ship. And it has got this sort of wonderful backdrop of, of a huge, vast space. So for design in the period and for concept i'm very happy to open with the ark oh no complaints from me uh you know a a maligned story in many ways too uh so i'm glad to see it make the list no sadly it is but i think it's fantastic um Mm. now you mentioned the space pirates and i came very close to having them as my next pick but i went with something that does the same thing i think even better and that is frontier in space Okay. So I've picked this because this is the definitive Doctor Who space opera. Uh, I think it's even better than the space pirates in its space opera aspects. And in this one, you've got the Earth cargo ship, the Earth battleship, the Draconian battleship, the Ogron Mm. ship, and the Master's police ship. So you've got five different spaceships in this story, each of them with their own interesting design. You know, the cargo ship looks like a cheap little cargo ship that's just set storing flour. The battleship, the Earth battleship, looks like it's a more aggressive thing with a big cannon and it's bigger. And then the Draconian one's sort of a very different aesthetic, but it's big and it's grand. And, and then the, the police ship's just a stinky little police ship. And they're all mm. great models and they've all got their own different sort of qualities and aspects. But if you're going to talk about spaceships in Doctor Who, just having so many of them, and they're going from one side of the galaxy to the other and back and yeah. through hyperspace, you know, that's the thing that just fires a young imagination. And I'm, I love Frontier in Space for doing all that. As a boy, I love that story because it did all that space opera. As mm-hmm. an adult, I still love all that, but I also see the stuff that Malcolm Hulk is writing underneath it as well, which adds an extra dimension. 
I recognise that you're picking the story because it does all these ships, but do you have a favourite in that story? Oh, it has to be the Draconian Battlecruiser. That's a very okay. impressive design. And, uh, and and don't forget, this is a story that uh, JMS did reference when he was putting together Babylon 5. Yeah, that is actually true. Um, and Babylon 5, again, has, you know, really different alien ships with you know that reflect their cultures. So, yeah, I, I, I love Frontier for that. The next pick, though, is yours, Rob. Now, we've both picked something from Season 12. Yes. So uh, let's see if we've snapped. What's yours? Let's tease it out a bit more. This is my cheat one. Okay. Is, is your Season 12 a cheat? I wouldn't have said that, no. Okay, because my Season 12 pick is... Nerva Beacon. Oh, no, it's not a snap, so go on. <laughs> Great. Now, this this is a little cheat because it's a space station. Yeah. And I, and I will say it was fifth on my list in descending order, not just in terms of seasons, but in terms of, like, most popular through to my, my least popular. This, this this was, like, my number five pick, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit out there. I couldn't not pick it, though, because looks-wise, Nerva Beacon is the classic round sort of shape, but with the vertical towers in the middle and it it looks all right for a 70s model although when you compare it to what they did a decade later with the uh time lord space station in trial of a time lord Mm. what an what an amazing advance in special effects that was but why did i choose this over say the the space station in trial of a time lord i think it's because rarely for the classic series nerva is a location we go back to for multiple stories and that always intrigued me. You know, it has a name change, of course, from Nerva Beacon to the, the Ark or Terra Nova or whatever. It just made it feel like more of a real place in the lore of the series. It wasn't throwaway. And I've often wondered if it was possibly the inspiration we have for Satellite 5 and the game station in Series 1. I think it's got to be. Where it's the, the same location renamed over a long period of time. That's exactly what this is. I, I couldn't not have this. I think it's a it's a neat thing, Nerva Beacon. No, I think it's fantastic. And and again, you're seeing the model work become a big key defining aspect of the show at this point. And Nerva is definitely a step up in terms of that model work. But the thing that I love about it is that they do a fantastic job at making the model work absolutely match the sets. Yes. So when they're walking around different parts of Nerva Beacon, you can actually match it to the, the model and, and and it works and it all ties in and that's something that doesn't happen nearly enough and i think it's a really cool thing yeah no it's it's, it's really good stuff so i couldn't not have it as i say fair enough so look given that i've told you that my next one is also from season 12 and it's not a cheat um any guesses what it could be rob oh, is it a cyberman ship no oh not a bad guess because i did think of that one it's the zygon ship oh yeah, well, that's fantastic, too. Now, we're talking about evolution in special effects. The, the Zygon model is surely a step up again from Nerva. And again, there's this sort of feeling of it being a very different technology. It's more organic technology. The way that all the sets feel like they're actually inside that spaceship, that model, and that all that design comes together really well. The way that it's filmed under Loch Ness is mm. so evocative and so wonderful. But that cliffhanger from episode three of Terror of the Zygons, as this massive model just slowly comes out of Loch Ness and the water gushes off it, and mm. then it's it's that screeching noise and it flies off. That is a moment that just... It was a real punch the moment for me when I watched it 
when I was a, you know, a boy in the 80s. And it looks so good. And then when it gets blown up again, it's a wonderful, big, proper <laughs> explosion. Um, it's Yeah, yeah it, it all just works. It's darkly lit when they film inside. Oh, it's so well done. And the, the production team's taking such care to do the spaceships well by this point. I'm trying to visualise it in my head. Has it got a crab-like shape to yes, it? Yes, that's the one. Yeah, that obviously organic uh, sort of stuff going on inside and a crab sort of look on the outside. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, I, I do too. I think it's a really good design. And um, it's a shame they haven't used it in the, the occasions they've brought back the Zygon since. I'd like to see that ship design again. Very true. Um, now, my fourth pick is our fifth pick overall. So I've obviously waited a bit at the uh, <laughs> earlier part of the show, and you're waited definitely at the uh, later part of the show, which is interesting. Yes. My next pick was season 17, and I had two on my shortlist from this season. I didn't go with the Jaggeroth in the end, as much as I love that cool spider design and the way that it curls up as it takes off, which is really good. But I've gone for the Mavellans from Destiny of the Daleks. Oh, okay, yep. Because that is a ship that has got a really cool central concept and is executed really, really well. So this idea of the spaceship that doesn't look like what a spaceship should look like or what we conventionally Mm. think a spaceship should look like. It's all sort of like an upside-down pyramid. And then it lands and it digs itself into the Earth. That's a really clever thing. The model work that does it is really, really good. And, And again, they've gone to really great lengths to make sure that the physical spaceship that they actually film around when they're on the surface of Scara or in the quarry, if you want to be literal, <laughs> um, you know, actually, again, matches the model, matches the design, and it all comes together. And then when you go inside the Mavellan spaceship, and it is what I want a spaceship to look like on the inside. It's all gleaming metal and flashing lights and futuristic <laughs> and big screens and weapons with day-glow pink plastic everywhere and, yeah. and silver tin foil around stuff. And it's just, it looks like a spaceship. And I love the inside and the outside <laughs> so much. It's, it's just so really, really cool. And for a season that is lambasted with, with fairness and with justification mm. for the money running out and some of the special effects not being particularly great. Look, look, I will defend and I enjoy watching the Horns of Naimon, but uh, some of the spaceships in the Horns of Naimon are, you know, pretty cheap and nasty when you compare them to the Jaggeroth or the Mavellans. But, but yeah. when, they, when they land with those spaceships, boy, do they land. Oh, yeah. It, I was going to mention the sort of the funky interior. It suits the Mavellans very much, actually. Mm, There's yeah, some absolutely. thought going on there. Yeah, absolutely. And and you can see the production team really sort of going, okay, how do we do something that's not a flying saucer? How do we do something that's not a rocket ship? You know, just a conventional sort of cigar-shaped ship. And they're, they're really working hard on the series by this stage. And I, you know, really, really love it. But Rob, the next pick is from you. You've said series one by two. Is this two yes. picks or something that spreads across them? Ah, that's two separate picks from Series 1, Dave. Oh, excellent. Well, I've got one from Series 1, so we'll do yours, then mine, then go to your Series 2. Okay. My first Series 1 pick is the Chula Warship. Oh, good call. Yeah, people might remember the Chula Ambulance that (laughs) attracts the Doctor and Rose to Earth in The Empty Child and the Doctor Dances, but it seems less well known that Jack's personal ship is also Chula based it's a Chula warship yes now we get an okay look at it on screen although it turns invisible at one point which certainly cuts down on the special effects budget um 
but the best look you can actually get of this is in a toy set. Now, we were talking about Star Wars earlier. Do you remember the Star Wars Micro Machines? Uh, <laughs> I, I think do. they were called Star Wars Micro Machines. I do, yes. Well, back in the day when Doctor Who was white hot and there were a billion toys, not like today, they did a, uh, a three-pack of ships and it had the Chula warship in it. And it looks really cool. The only beef I have with it is it's called a warship. When I think in any other franchise it would be called a fighter. <laughs> it's it's maybe a little bigger than an X-Wing fighter in Star Wars, but it's certainly not massive. It's actually very cramped inside. It's maybe like a small bomber at best. Uh, Warship is over the top. Anyway, I'm, <laughs> I'm digressing there. I think the design is sexy, and I just adore the way Jack programmed it with Emergency Protocol 417, which was to generate him a large martini in the event that his death was imminent. I mean, that that is the height of cool. It's the cherry on top uh, for that character's introduction in the story. The ship looks hot. It, it had to be on my list. Yeah, and, and by this stage, of course, we are into the new series and there is more money, there is more technology. But yeah, it, it, it looks very, very cool. And the script itself even highlights that they are deliberately trying to contrast the quaintness of the TARDIS with sort of, you know, traditional high-tech sci-fi coolness in, in Captain Jack's ship. And, uh, yeah, it's a really, really nice one there. Mm. Uh, I also had a pick from Series 1, and it's a pick that's a kind of there so I can branch off and talk about the genre generally, and mm. that is the Dalek sources from the end of the season. Snap! There you go. <laughs> so... I wondered if this was going to be a snap. So, look, I'll, I'll just say I think that they are a wonderful, iconic design. They are referencing the original Dalek flag sources from way back in the Dalek Invasion of Earth. They look so good, but I love the way that throughout the series there's been some attempt, for the most part, to give the Daleks a bit of a vibe and a bit of a feel. In the 70s, their spaceships kind of looked very, very similar, enough that uh, they're... Spaceship and Planet of the Daleks and the Spaceship and Death to the Daleks are similar enough that when I saw Death to the Daleks for the first time and at the end of part one, you know, this this ship sort of hones into view across the landscape, I've gone, that looks like a Dalek ship. You know, that's the kind of thing that really works for me. And and I think for young kids watching the new series now, who who are the age now that I was when I was watching, you know, repeats on the ABC in the 80s, to have this design of the Dalek ship and that sound effect and all the rest of it, enough that you only need to see a little bit or see a silhouette and and, and a kid watching could go, oh, that's a Dalek ship, and, and have that, that, that sense of excitement, I think is a wonderful thing. Rob, why did you pick it? Oh, my, my notes are very similar here, Dave. You know, <laughs> we can go right back to Dalek Invasion of Earth for Dalek sources. But I, I wanted to flag the Series 1 version just because it's done so well. Yeah. You know, when they flew onto the screen, it was like all my fantasies about Dalek sources from, you know, decades past, you know, TV stories, Dalek annuals, comics, whatever. Suddenly it was on the screen and it looked amazing. It was just incredible. So this is really a vote for a concept being brought to fruition in, in Series 1 rather than Series 1 doing something brand new. It was just bringing all this stuff together. As you mentioned, the, the sound inside the ship, the lighting, the design. It's just its just all there. It's done so well. I can't fault it. And, yeah, 
I'm saying this a lot, but how can this not be on my list? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I think the Daleks generally need to be on the list, and, and that end of Series 1 is just amazing. Mm-hmm. Rob, your fourth and fifth picks are next, so I'll uh, hand over to you. Yeah, so we're going into Series 3 here, and this is another... Yeah, it's a bit of a cheat. I'm going with The Valiant. Oh! Oh, that took a moment. It did take a moment. Okay, yeah, keep going, yeah. Now, it's a bit of a cheat because the Valiant can only fly in atmosphere. Now, if people are wondering what the Valiant is, it's it's the big um, aircraft carrier, flying aircraft carrier that UNIT has in the, the early the, 20th the, the flying hovercraft. Yeah. And, and at first glance, it's really bonkers technology for the <laughs> early 21st century, but it's explained as being designed by Harold Saxon. So, with a line... You know, which we often talk about on the show, it makes perfect sense that yes. the master could bring his smarts to a project like this and create the Valiant. And so we have this, you know, really, really advanced sort of ship flying around the early 21st century. It represents kind of a big idea, I think, and a kind of thinking that I, I, I love in Doctor Who. It's, it's bonkers, but it's explained, you know, versus concepts that are bonkers, but never explained or, or poorly explained, mm. you know. This is an aircraft carrier, okay, we know what they are, and, and it can fly, okay, we, we get that, and the master was behind the technology it uses. Perfect, makes total sense, even though it's a bonkers idea. So, for that alone, I really rate this, but come on, how cool is it? When, when you see it flying along through the clouds and stuff, it's like, wow, that's a cool ship. Yeah, and it does come back, which again gives us that thing that I was talking about before, the Dalek ships of... A, a, a viewer, I mean, even as our age, we say, oh, cool, they've brought the Valiant back. But but again, a kid growing up watching the new series would, would get a real sense of excitement, oh, that cool ship's back. And then the fact that it, I think, is brought down by the Daleks in Stolen Earth. It's either brought down or they land it. It's certainly put out a commission and, and attacked. And, and, and that's, yeah. that's a really good way of saying, you know, we've got this awesome ship that you've seen for a couple of years now, and the Daleks have taken it out. You know, that's how bad the Daleks yeah. are. It's a really good way to bring it home. I, I think they use it really well. Yeah. And when I say land, I think land because it had been severely damaged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Final one, Series 8. I, I, you probably can't guess this one because, again, it's it's a bit left of field, but it's, it's, it is a spaceship. It's the Orient Express. <laughs> now, okay. it probably helps that I'm very fond of the episode, but yeah. come on, the concept of a spaceship style like the Orient Express is also nicely bonkers. It's another take, I guess, on the Titanic in the Kylie Minogue episode, you know, years earlier, which was a very similar sort of thing. Although this uses more imagination because whereas the Titanic was a ship and we often equate sea ships with spaceships, I mean, Star Blazers does that literally with with the World War II battleship, the Yamato, a train flying through space is a whole new spin on the idea. And I, I love it, you know, and aside from the mummy sort of shambling about, I think I'd quite like to take a trip on it, Dave. <laughs> it's quite luxurious and you've got the uh, the lady doing a jazzy queen cover version in the in the bar. You know, it's, it's fun. And so I'm, I'm ending my list here with some good goofy fun. I, I really like the Orient Express. Uh, look, that's a really appropriate place for you to finish your list because you have had some really good kooky picks there and that is the kookiest of them all. Um, so I'm really impressed by that I'm a little surprised I have to say that you didn't mention the sailing ships from Enlightenment because I know how much you like the Dave O'Hara oh they are good they are good but look we said that your final pick was appropriate because it was extra kooky 
And I think my final pick is appropriate because it's extra space opera and grand. And mm-hmm. I have picked a big, vast spaceship, and that is the colony ship from World Enough and Time. Oh, with all those levels. All those levels. And this is one that I think brings in all the stuff that I've talked about. By this stage, well and truly, they can do more or less anything they like with the model. They can they can take an idea and make a huge, vast, complicated CGI spaceship and make it look stunning, put it on a background that's stunning, over the top of which you have this really cool concept about it being fighting to get out of the black hole and the time dilation that comes from that. Then the interiors are interesting. You get the, the vastness of the engine rooms down in the lower levels. You get what's happening in other levels. And we're kind of back to the arc. This is the arc done with a 21st century budget, really. Uh, and they're both big, vast ships with great ideas. But what the colony ship has going for it is that it looks stunning as well. And I think that that, for me, is the point I want to make, that we've watched the growth of the visual aspect of cool spaceships over the course of a dozen or so picks. But throughout the show's history, the imagination behind these ships uh, has been pretty constant and pretty extraordinary. I think that's that's why we picked them. And Although I must admit, just as a side, that, that, that does remind me of... Um, Tom Baker's comment within the introduction to the Sharda video when uh, he said, oh, I was talking to Douglas Adams and he said, I'm going to have an invisible spaceship. Anyone can design a visible spaceship, but a, an invisible spaceship, that takes imagination. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> and and you know, that's that's what these things are. They're about imagination. And, and look, I love them. I love them all. Yeah. Now, you mentioned I didn't pick the uh, the ships from Enlightenment. And just before we went to air, you know, I was throwing a tweet out there saying, oh, Dave and I are about to record an episode. And a friend of the show, Tim Archer at Subversion13 on Twitter said, hopefully you'll talk about the bus in Delta. <laughs> I loathed the bus from Delta when I was about nine years old. And I adore the bus from Delta now that I'm 30 or so years older. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah. It, it 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 is kind of very very cool. I I do, I do love the way that um you know you open the boot and there's this Hellstrom Fireball 2 engine in in this whole bus. <laughs> um yeah, it's something I think that um worked a lot better for me as an adult. Um when I was 9 I wanted, you know, I wanted big cool Dalek ships. But now yeah, yeah. that's that's a very fun concept. Thanks Tim. Yeah. And look, there there are so many we could have picked. You know, one, one, as I said at the start of the show, once you start getting into the, the topic and you think, oh, that's a good ship. Oh, there's another one. Oh, there's another one. It was actually hard to narrow them down. Yeah, it, it really was. There are just so many good ideas and so many good visuals. And yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's something that I think needs a bit of recognition and hopefully we've done that. Yeah, and hopefully we've mentioned some episodes and stories that if you haven't watched them for a while, this might be your uh, your impetus to go and watch them. Yeah, absolutely. And as always, uh, let us know via social media, tweets, or writing into us what you think of our picks and what your picks were. Speaking of which... Yes, we have mail. We, we have, have mail. Uh, we, have, we have three three letters. I haven't specified who should read each of these, Dave. Do you want to go first or shall I? Um, I'm, I'm happy to. I'm happy to. Okie dokie. Uh, so our first one comes from Peter Dedman. And he says, Hi, Rob and Dave. Great shows recently. Well, always a good way to start the letter. Yes. <laughs> Great shows recently. I'm especially liking the concept of the list makers. 
For the first one with Doctor Companion pairings, I'd like to add the big finish pairing of Davo and Perry. Now, it doesn't make sense that they have years of adventures in between Planet of Fire and Caves of Androzani, but despite that, they have a great rapport with each other and complement each other well. The Fifth Doctor is less spiky generally than the Sixth, so it means that they are a very different pair. Um, absolutely agree with that. I think they're amazing on screen. I would have loved a fourth Davo series with Nicola, so uh, yeah, totally agree with that. Peter goes on to say... On the topic of spaceships, I'll admit not many come to mind as great, but I do like the design of the Dalek command ships in the new series. That sort of circle and sphere design is quite effective. Keep up the good work, Peter. Thank you, Peter. I think we agreed with you. Oh, absolutely. And I, I want to jump in and say on uh, Fifth Doctor and Perry, one of the earlier Big Finish that I was listening to, I think it was somewhere between release 21 and 30. I think it was in that block of 10 that i listened to there's one called the eye of the scorpion which is the fifth dr perry and they pick up another <laughs> so, so to make it really outlandish they pick up another companion called eramem so there is this in big finish land there's this whole series of the fifth dr perry eramem doing all this stuff before they get to Kays vandrasani but it's in ancient egypt right and uh eramem is uh is female uh but is going to be a female pharaoh but as the fifth doctor says there was never a female uh pharaoh called eremem so what's going on it's a really really good story i think with a real historical slant i think you'd really enjoy it dave actually okay that's that's good to know i'll make a note of that uh our mm. next email rob yes this is a, a email from david clark he also tweets at david clark 14 on twitter hey you dave he says hi robin dave I haven't been in contact for a while, but my poor wife and I are now up to the twin dilemma and the sixth Doctor, Colin Baker. Ooh. Got to say, not the best first story for a new Doctor, and if it wasn't for Perry's twins, I probably would have skipped to the next story. Look, I, I have to agree. I actually think that the twins in Twin Dilemma are underrated and quite an interesting concept, and uh, I, I don't mind Romulus and Remus. Yes, thank you for saving that, Dave, because I don't think that's the twins he meant. That's no, the twins um, I meant, and that's what I'm sticking to. <laughs> Watching Davo was brilliant. Well, of course it was. Uh, because in the original series, he was my last Doctor before I lost my love a little bit. But I'm going to watch to the very end because I have never seen an episode of McCoy as the Doctor. So that will be new to me. Really enjoy the show, guys. Keep well from Dave. Wow, never seen an episode of McCoy. I'm not going to say anything and generally wait to see what Dave thinks of the McCoy era. Yeah, just push on, Dave. Just watch it all. Watch it all, absolutely. Mm. Our final listener email is from TARDISNet at TARDISNet66 on Twitter. No name, Rob? No, no, I just know him as TARDISNet. He has a photo of himself, though. Oh, so you've got a photo, okay. We, yeah. we can judge them, that's fine. Uh, well, <laughs> well, thank you for writing in, Mr. Net. Um, <laughs> he says, hi, Rob and Dave. I've very much been enjoying the show with the additions of Primary Sources and The List Makers and Rob's recent thoughts on the Ninth Doctor adventures from Big Finish. They all add a lot of variety and bring something different to the podcast. I particularly enjoy Primary Sources, which gives us a good insight into the fandom in specific periods of time, which is very fascinating for me in understanding the thoughts and opinions of the fanbase at a time in which I wasn't even born, and in some ways it appears not much has changed. Ain't that the truth. <laughs> as for the main topic, I struggled for a while to think of many spaceships off the top of my head, as it's not something I've ever paid much thought to. 
Eventually, I discovered a Doctor Who book from 2008 titled Spaceships and Space Stations, cheap on Amazon, and I rediscovered some of my favourites, and I think it's the designs that stick out for me more than anything else. My favourite classic Who picks have to be Scaroth's Spaceship from City of Death. We talked about that one. Lynx's yep. Sontaran Spaceship from the Time Warrior. Good call. I'm, Pretty cool. Yeah, very cool. The organic look of both the spaceships and of the Zygons and the Axons, although I think the Zygons is probably better in execution. We mentioned mm. that one. The Imperial Dalek Shuttlecraft from Remembrance of the Daleks is also simply amazing. The UK-201 from the rescue is very believable in its design and broken and crashed look and makes for a great setting for the story. And lastly, everything from Frontier in Space I liked as well. Uh, let me say, Mr. Tardis, even the ones there that we didn't mention I had on my shortlist and they just didn't quite make the cut. So very, very, yeah. uh, very much agree with you there. Yeah. When it comes to the modern series, I think the best is the SS Madame du Pompadour. It's simply unique, repaired with the body parts of the crew, and with loads of different time windows into history. I think the Orient Express train in space is a good idea. Captain, uh-huh. <laughs> Captain Jack's spaceship from The Empty Child and the Doctor Dances is Perfect. simply something I would love to travel in, and the Sycorax spaceship from The Christmas Invasion fits the Sycorax very well and feels very different. Again, matched with a number of our picks there well done uh, and some yeah, good extra ideas wish you all the best and keep up the great work from TARDIS Net now that book he mentions 2008 book Starships and Space Stations I'd never heard of this so I looked it up and it's just yet another I mentioned the um, the Doctor Who micro machine type toys around 2008 2009 again when the show was white hot there were books there were toys there were so many things coming out i as a fan have not seen them all even at this point in time yeah. let alone own them yeah. it's 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 astounding how much stuff was coming out and especially compared to today it's 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 chalk and cheese no absolutely i missed a lot of that stuff when it came out mm it sounds like an interesting book, though. It, it does, and it sounds like it's got some really cool picks in it. So, uh, yeah, that's that's good. So thank you, as always, to those who wrote in. Uh, Rob, at this point, we usually talk about what we've been watching. In my case, I've been watching Season 8, and I spoke about it. So uh, <laughs> anything you'd like to add? I think you've got a couple of picks for us. Oh, I, I have, and I, I won't go on about these. I watched the movie uh, Midway, about the Battle of Midway. Uh, it spends a lot of time at Pearl Harbor as well. Really good historical film. Loved it. It is. I saw it in the cinema, having not long actually been to Pearl Harbor. And uh, it, it is very, very well done, yes. And and the time it spends to actually spend some time with the Japanese and look at you know what they were doing, I think is something that a lot of that genre of movies is missing. So I think it's very cool. Yeah, in that respect, it reminded me a lot of Torah, 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 which mm. came out around 1970 and went to the, the extent of actually having separately filmed Japanese sections, which a Japanese director filmed in Japanese. Mm, yeah. And then it sort of spliced together with the uh, the American stuff. It's, it's a great film, too. Yeah. Uh, the TV series Jupiter's Legacy, I've watched on Netflix. Have you caught that? I've seen the trailers. Any good? Oh, it's a game of two halves. Okay. Um, there's an interesting backstory as to how the superheroes become superheroes, which begins with the uh, stock market crash of 1929 and uh, ends up in this sort of King Kong homage where they're off on some crazy island in the middle of nowhere. Uh, that's really good. But then the modern day stuff that it's spliced with just 
didn't always work for me. So it's it's really a game of two halves. I loved half of it. The other half, I was like, oh, God, this is boring. Please, can I fast forward? Okay. Mm. Uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music, I finally caught up with. Probably not the best of the Bill and Ted series, but it was it was nice to see. It's, it's gentle sort of humour. You can see all the jokes coming a mile off. I'm glad I saw it. I can't say much more about it. Does it rely on you being a fan of the original Bill and Ted? I think so, because the whole premise is that the the song, they're always told in the original film and, and the sequel that they'll write the song that will unite the world. And that becomes the theme of this because they're now middle-aged and they still haven't written the song. So, right, okay. <laughs> and that's kind of a funny, you know, idea, you know. Um, it's probably actually funnier than the film. <laughs> uh, <laughs> moving on, I watched Army of the Dead, which is the new Zack Snyder zombie film. Uh, thing um i'm not actually a zombie movie fan but i have enjoyed when Zack snyder did the remake of um dawn of the dead and so this was up on netflix and i thought well what the hell i'll watch it and it was quite enjoyable it was a typical zombie movie there you go i I should perhaps mention i didn't sort of think of movies i did pull out well not pull out i did pull up interstellar uh recently because i actually didn't see that in the cinema i missed it and um for the first two hours, I thought, this is a really good Christopher Nolan film. Yes. And in the last hour, I thought, no, there is no such thing as a good Christopher Nolan film. <laughs> um, and, and look, I do quite enjoy his first two Batman films. I, I think that um, uh, Dark the, the, the first one and Dark Knight aren't too bad. Um, again, with Dark Knight, the first two hours I thought was spectacular. Yeah. The last hour was just terrible and really dragged it down. And the same with Interstellar. I just think... The man doesn't know when to stop, although visually it is spectacular. There's some cool stuff in there. Mm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing you. And finally, Dave, the, the, the thing I most wanted to mention is a series I've been watching on Netflix, but I believe it's also on Amazon Prime as well, which is weird. It's on both services. And it's called Superstore. Now, I don't know how I've never watched this in my life. It's a sitcom uh, set in a, a big box retailer in the US. So think of... Um, I don't know, Walmart or something like that is probably your your best analogy. And it's 22 minutes an episode, so the episodes go by really quick. The writing is very funny, very on point. I, again, I don't know how I've ever missed this, but I am shotgunning through like three, four, five episodes at a time when I sit down at the TV. I am loving Superstore. That's really interesting because I can't remember how I heard of Superstore. I may even have been in the US at the time it came out. It's very possible that I was. And I watched the first three episodes and thought it was really, really good. And I plowed through the sort of the first two thirds of season one. And then I kind of hit a point I hit with a lot of sitcoms of like, I've just watched the same episode three times. Okay. I think I'm kind of done with this now. And I, it's not that I didn't like it. I just sort of thought, okay, it's, it's not quite gripping me as much as it did. And it kind of just slipped off my radar. But you're saying I should have persevered. Oh, yeah. I... Th- there's some very funny stuff in it and now that i'm deep into the second series the first series is only about 11 episodes but when you get to the second episode second series onwards they're about 22 or even 24 episodes i don't know so i'm about 10 episodes into the second series and a storyline is starting to sort of emerge you know we've had all these sort of wacky you know story of the week type things but now some of the characters are starting to do things with each other and it's like oh i see a story emerging Okay, okay, maybe I dropped it too early. That's that's interesting to know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
That's our episode on Cool Spaceships. So now let's talk about what we're doing next month. And next month we're talking about something that is a very, very big part of Doctor Who. And that, let's be honest, we probably don't talk about all that much, certainly not compared to some other podcasts. Mm. And that is Big Finish. Yeah, I mean, we have done in the past, I, I mean, we looked at the, the missing uh, Sylvester McCoy season, done Big Finish style. We have done Big Finish stuff in the past. But when we were planning this year out, when, when was that? Like late last December or something like oh, that? Oh, October, November last year, yeah. Yeah, so this was well before I started my Big Finish great journey and all that sort of stuff, which is more recent. I particularly wanted to throw down, let's just do a Big Finish story. We'll, we'll pick one and the way we're going to pick it well we'll announce that in a moment but let's just pick a story and treat it like something new that we've never seen new doctor who and review it you know it'll be it'll be different it'll be something different for us yeah so look i'm sure we'll have a bit more of a perhaps general conversation about big finish and what we like and what we did dis- dislike and you know what some of our favorites are but but we're going to hang our whole episode next month off a deep dive into one big finish story and to pick it, as you were saying, Rob, we're going to do what we'd love to do here. We do it whenever we can. And that is we're going to have a listener poll. Mm. So standard practice, uh, we're going to have four possible stories from Big Finish for us to do a deep dive into, for, for you, the listener, to vote on. Um, we didn't set ourselves any rules other than, you know, it's not going to cost me 100 bucks to download it. <laughs> Maybe we should have set some more rules, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> Uh, well, we'll see what comes out. If, if we have something that's really bizarre, it'll be up to the listeners if they uh, they vote for it mm. or not. Now, we each have got two picks to bring out. Um, I might kick us off. I have probably listened, well, I think there's no doubt I've listened to less Big Finish than you have. And I, without knowing much about anything, just flicked through the Big Finish website and found a couple of casts that I thought I'd like to listen to in a couple of premises that I thought sounded pretty cool. I have no idea if these episodes are any good or not. I have no idea what the reputation is. I've just gone, it's that doctor in that story. Okay. Um, so my first pick <laughs> is Return of the Crotons with Colin. Okay. Because, hey, I want to hear if, you know, everyone says that Colin's so awesome in the in the, in the the big finish. So I wanted to Colin on the list. And, hey, Crotons, that caught my interest. Yes. And the other one is from one of my favorite TARDIS crews. It's... Uh, Tom Baker, Romana, and Adric, and I've picked Planet of the Witches, which I believe is a much more recent one. Yes, it would be. It would be. It's certainly one I haven't heard myself. There you go. So, uh, listeners, you may be sitting there absolutely aghast that I've picked those, or you might think, fantastic, I'm going to make them listen to one of those. Or you might pick one of Rob's two picks, which are... Dave, I've... Hmm, it, it's so hard to, to pick something like this, but I've picked The One Doctor which is a Colin story by Gareth Roberts and Clayton Hickman. And it's a very funny story. I like that. Very, very funny indeed. So there's, there's that. So that's a different sort of tangent again. And my other one is also a funny pick and it's by someone you, you quite like, uh, Rob Shearman. Oh yes. And it's called the Holy Terror. Okay. And who's that got in it? That's a Colin one as well. There's a good chance Colin's going to be, going to be winning, and, and, and unless, unless Colin splits the vote and Tom comes through the middle. 
Interesting. Okay, so our four picks are Return of the Crotons, Planet of Witches, The One Doctor, and Holy Terror. Listeners, you yes. get to vote for which one we're going to do a deep dive into. Um, depending on how busy I am over the next month, if there's something that's a bit of a runner-up, I, I might listen to that as well, just so we can have a, a quick background chat about it. Who knows how the month will go? I've got to say, I'm not sure who the companion is in your Sixth Doctor story. In mine, we've got Mel in one and Frobisher in the other. Uh India Fisher is the actress. She plays Charlotte, is it? Ah, so that, that well, that's Paul McGann's companion, Charlie. And I'm not entirely sure how she ends up with the Sixth Doctor, so that'll be interesting to find out. <laughs> okay, I, I may have gone off into a very weird pick there, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, as I said, I thought I should have a Colin in here, because everyone, everyone keeps telling me Colin's amazing and big finish. And I just saw Colin on a cover with a croton and thought, that's my pick. So um, I'll find out soon what the listeners think. And, uh, and and look, look, please feel free. Engage in discussion on Twitter, you know. Try and convince others, you know, why they should or shouldn't pick some of these stories. I'll be fascinated to see. But uh, that's our topic for next month. Big finish with a deep dive into something. Yes, and I deliberately stayed away from, like, Davo in Spare Parts or Paul McGann in um, The Chimes of Midnight or any of the, the stories that just everyone rates you know, I wanted to go into some different territory. Yeah, Jubilee was another one that I sort of, you know, crossed off the list because I thought, you know, everyone talks about Jubilee. And no, I wanted to just be completely random and out there. And I think that's what we've got. So uh, we've uh, we've announced that enough. Listeners, over to you. Fabulous. Well, I think that wraps up the show, Dave. I think it does. Time to go. We'll be back during the course of the month with another Primary Sources and another List Makers. But until then, I've been Dave. And I've been Rob. And we will speak again soon. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Doctor Show with Rob and Dave. Find us online by searching for The Doctor Show. We also love it when you write in. Drop us a line anytime at hello at the dwshow.net.